My name's Alyssa. And I'm Vanessa. And you're listening to Dear Literature, a podcast where two friends discuss books, writing, and publishing. Everything we discuss in each episode can be found in the show notes. Today we'll be talking about who we are as readers and writers. But before that, Vanessa, what have you read recently and what are you currently reading? Yeah, so it's back to school season. Alyssa and I are returning to our classes remotely but we have some interesting things to read this semester and also things that we're reading on our own. So the first book I'm going to talk about is a recent read. I read Circe by Madeline Miller, which is Miller's reimagining of the goddess Circe from the Odyssey and just giving her an entire personality, giving her hopes and dreams and powers, and it basically chronicles Circe's life from her birth up until you know, many centuries into her adulthood, past Odysseus, past any of the stories about her that we were told from antiquity. She's just given an entirely new life and characterization, and Miller did an incredible job. For class, I read the epic of Gilgamesh, translated by David Ferry. Really wonderful translation of this ancient text. Um, One of the seminal works, I guess, of... (laughs) Western literature and there's a lot to talk about it but we can see the origin of a lot of stories and a lot of narratives that we have in Western literature in it so really important read as someone who's studying literature. This is a the Epic of Gilgamesh is a text in the foundational course that Vanessa and I have to take for a major but so I have I have already taken this class and Vanessa's currently in it and when I was reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, I kept on calling it the Epic of, Gil- like, Giglamesh. <laughs> and I kept writing it as that, just adding an extra G before the L. <laughs> so it's forever the Epic of Giglamesh to me. That's hilarious. That's a very Alyssa thing to do. Oh man, I guess we have to call it that now. A new translation by Alyssa Lowe. The Epic of Giglamesh. <laughs> Oh, but something that I read for research, not for any particular class, but just for, you know, a little short story that I'm working on. I read Alexandra Tataran's Contemporary Life and Witchcraft, Magic, Divination, and Religious Ritual in Europe, which is basically her study of religion and witchcraft in France, Russia, and Romania. And she did some important field research in Romania, chronicling the local discourse around witchcraft and how it's been influenced by the post-communist era. And she also talks about the history of witchcraft and how it was treated over the centuries in Europe. Really, really interesting text about the practices of these regions and like the specific protective spells that they use to protect their livestock or the spells that they do to protect their, you know, daughter's marriage all these sorts of things that are part of the local customs and the local folklore um, Tataran chronicles in her research and it was really interesting. That sounds really neat. It was so cool and I learned a lot about the practices that are happening not just that didn't happen in the past but also continue to happen in the modern day regions of Russia and Romania and France and one that I found really interesting there's this idea of mana, and mana is like this 
invisible force that bestows abundance onto people. So like fertility and wealth and all those things. But there's this belief that it's in limited quantity and you can only have so much mana. So when somebody has surplus, like they get extra money or they grow extra crops, that's seen as something bad in the community because the idea is that you stole another person's abundance to have that surplus. And so it creates a lot of contention in the community if anybody is seen as having more than what they should have. And that's a a source of a lot of conflict in rural communities because, you know, it's difficult, you know, managing livestock and managing crops already. Like, imagine somebody that makes a lot of extra money. You're just, you know, you're just like, why did they do that? Why are they, why are they getting more than me? And the belief is that they, you know, they're stealing from other people, which is really interesting. And a current read is Kelly Link's Get in Trouble, which has been recommended to me by a lot of my professors, and they were not wrong. I've only read a little bit of it, but Kelly Link, I've read some of her fiction before, I've read some of her short fiction before, and she's really incredible. She is like no other writer that I've read, really. Like, she belongs to this, like, new movement in writing, like, alongside, like, Karen Russell and Carmen Maria Machado. And I've only, like I said, I only read a little bit of Get in Trouble, but I'm excited to talk about it in a future episode because it's already caught my attention. I'm only like part of the way through. Uh, So Alyssa, it's a new school year, but as we know, we're both heavy readers. So I want to know what you're reading, not just for class, but in your own personal life. Well, I mean, it's just like the majority of reads that I have finished recently have been for class. So I read Bluettes by Mackie Nelson. I feel like everyone is, it's like a ubiquitous text that everyone knows. I was talking to a professor and she was saying, I know a lot of students read this and there are very divisive opinions. I have not read it. And it's just really funny because it's either like, oh yeah, people really like this or they don't like this. Uh, It's... How do I describe this book? Like, I I read this for a class that's, um, that's about documentary poetry, documentary poetics. So I would say that this is maybe a bit, like, prose poetry-ish, uh, but it's an investigation that's part memoir, part cultural commentary about the color blue and Nelson's relationship to that. What genres? I feel like this is a difficult question because bluette seems to cross into different genres for some people. But how would you describe it for somebody who wants to read this text? Like, how should they be prepared for it? Well, I think, like I said, I was sort of reading it from a documentary poetics lens. I think it would also probably be like creative nonfiction. And I would say memoir in the vein of In the Dream House by uh, Carmen Maria Machado in the sense where it's loosely about Nelson and she's writing about herself, but it's also a very removed and curated version. So that's the that's the best way that I can describe it. Yeah, you have to let me know your thoughts on it because I've heard a lot about bluettes from different people, but like you said, there there's a lot of discourse around it that can get a, a little heated sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I finished it. So I, I gave it a, like a four out of five star rating. I think it was interesting. I don't no, I, I don't have like full thoughts on it, but yeah, it, w- it was interesting. That's the extent of my review for it. I also read The Tempest 
by Willie Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, edited by A.R. Uh, Braunmuller, and this was the Penguin uh, Penguin Books edition. It's not a good play. <laughs> like, it's not a good play. Uh, the last Shakespeare I read was, well, I read ha uh, Hamlet and Hamlet? Is that what it's called? Yes, because you haven't read Macbeth, which we've talked about. Oh my god. No, so I read Hamlet and King Lear simultaneously. I actually really enjoyed King Lear. Yeah, The Tempest was just not interesting to me. And it's unfortunate because... So I finished The Tempest, and I'm reading that as part of the other foundational <laughs> course that I have to take for the major. So we're reading The Tempest, and then we're reading Hagsey by Margaret Atwood. So I'm currently working on that, and that's a reinvention of the Tempest story and somehow it's worse it is somehow worse than reading the Tempest like the Tempest was just not a fun reading experience for me and now I am reading Hagseed and I'm like 22% of the way through and it's such a pain oh no like the thing is I don't think the problem is Atwood it's just the story I just do not care so okay if you don't know about the Tempest the Tempest follows Prospero, he's this magician, he was an usurped duke. My take on the Tempest is Prospero lost his dukedom and that's on him. Antonio, his brother who took the dukedom, did nothing wrong. So it follows this character Prospero, he's extremely unlikable, like he's not even like an anti-hero, he's just unlikable and it's unfortunate because he's the protagonist. There's his daughter Miranda, there's also I'd like to note there are two people, they're on this island and there's four people, four characters on this island, Prospero and his daughter, and then the two people that Prospero has enslaved, and then there's like his brother and two of his people get shipwrecked on this island, and the king of Milan and his people also get shipwrecked on this island. The play happens over the course of three hours. It's just not a good play. Like, if you're reading The Tempest, either you're studying it and you're writing a dissertation about it so you're into it, or you're forced to read it for class. Like the rest of us. Yeah, so The Tempest was not it. Um, and I'm sad I still have to get through Hagseed. I am so sorry. This is a dark time in Alyssa's life. It's the darkest timeline. But the thing is, Hagseed is a reinvention of The Tempest. So we're following this one character who's somehow worse than Prospero, where the framing is he's an experimental theater art director who's been removed from his position. And it's like, yeah, he deserves that. He was terrible. <laughs> What's especially not working for me is how much of a caricature of like an experimental type person he is. The character's name is Felix in this one. Anyway, don't recommend The Tempest or Hagseed. I'm not even done Hagseed and I'm already saying don't read it. But I'm also currently listening to Daisy Jones and the Six on audio by Taylor Shankins Reed. This is a full cast audiobook and it's funny because they said the names of some of the voice actors at the beginning and the only person who I paid attention to was January Lavoie who is the narrator for the Diviner series, which I absolutely adore. And it wasn't until I was preparing for today's episode did I realize that it's Jennifer Beals who narrates the voice of Daisy Jones, <laughs> which really just shows where my priorities are. Yeah, but Daisy Jones and the Six, this has been getting a lot of, you know, it's like if you're on the book side of the internet, you more or less know what it's about, but it's a documentary sort of thing where it's following the rise 
and fall of Daisy Jones and the Six, and it's set during the 70s, so they're a rock and roll band, and we get, like, the drug sex music thing happening in this. And I'm enjoying it. I think it's it's interesting. I'm actually not too sure how I feel about the full acted voice cast. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like the story is pretty interesting. Um, there's absolutely characters that I don't like, but that's not surprising. <laughs> Just like given the given the genre, it's not something that I would usually read. This is strange, but I'm not really into music or books about music. Yeah, I think it's just like if I was actually reading this book, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. So I think it's working a lot better on audio. Well, lucky you get to listen to January Lavoie again. Truly. <laughs> I was looking up her voiceover and audiobook credits and it's just a, a full list. No, it's like she is such an incredible voice actress and I think she's also just like an actress. Her voice is wonderful and I would like to say that it's just like all the voice actors for this audiobook are fantastic. I just love January Lavoie. Yeah and I'm also listening to Sin Eater by Megan Campisi from Simon Schuster Audio and Sin Eater follows this young woman who becomes a Sin Eater and a Sin Eater was a practice where upon death or it's just like as someone was going to die they would confess their sins to these different women who would then eat different foods that would represent their sins and this was natural practice so it's like it was funny because i was just listening to another podcast lore that was talking about sin eaters and then i saw the recommendation for this book unfortunately I'm not that far into this. I'm like, again, probably 22% done. And I'm probably going to DNF it. I just find the narrator to be very boring. And when I say narrator, I don't mean the voice actor. I just mean the character. I don't find the character to be particularly interesting. It's told in the first person because it's like she's arrested for a crime and then her punishment is her becoming a sin eater. And I'm just not compelled to finish it. I was intrigued from the description and I didn't know that it was an actual practice. When was it practiced? I'm not too sure. Yeah, I don't know where in the historical context this was practiced, but I think something that's interesting is the commentary of how sin, e sin eaters were always women because of Eve committing the original sin. It says it's most commonly associated with Wales, English countries, bordering Wales, and Welsh culture. I would say that if you're interested in learning more about Sin Eaters, I would say probably listen to that episode of Lore. I will try and send that to you. Or just like read a non-fiction account of it because it's- I think that will be more insightful than what's currently happening in this narration. So yeah, it, it's- what's sad though is for both Daisy Jones and Sin Eater, I placed holds on these back in like March and I just got them recently and it's like it's September now. So so yeah, a bit bummed about that, but it's okay. Nine other people are waiting, so they can have it. They have a, they can have a go at it. I mean, there are better things to come. You know, we have our buddy reads to look forward to. We have some really interesting things lined up. It's okay. I'm trying to comfort you, but you don't need comforting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's everything that we have read recently and are currently reading. But today we also want to talk about who we are, uh, just as people and as readers and writers. So Vanessa, who are you? 
Well, my name is Vanessa. I was born and I was raised here in New York City. I've always been a reader and I've always been a writer and I've also always been an artist. So those three things basically occupied my entire childhood. I've always been a writer of fiction and a writer of short stories, but I just started writing poetry in college in my, I want to say, second semester freshman year. I wrote a little bit and then starting second year, I started writing a lot more. So poetry is a relatively new new craft for me, but I really love it. It's something that was definitely missing from my life as a writer. I feel absolutely betrayed when I found out that Vanessa only started writing poetry recently because I've read some of her work for a workshop this summer that we did with friends, and you can't tell that she just started writing. It's extremely rude. Her work is so good. <laughs> The thing is, is that I sometimes turned in poems for creative assignments in high school and middle school. You know, like when you have a creative assignment and they say, you know, write a poem about this book or write a poem about this subject. But I really didn't have a lot of knowledge about poetry. But I think that that's good because I read a lot of myths and epics and sonnets, like all these things that have poetic qualities or like actual poetic techniques. And I sort of learned the voice that I wanted in my poetry before I even started writing poetry. So it was like this weird thing of like I already had the voice down I just had to like physically start writing is this weird thing and you don't have to say that it's rude because my fiction takes forever to write I still don't have a grasp on my voice and that's okay it's okay we're both young writers <laughs> we're both struggling we don't know who we are why do you think we're doing this segment we want you to tell us who we are um, <laughs> so I'm studying writing and also publishing and journalism getting my BA in fiction and poetry and my MA in publishing in journalism and we'll see how that goes because I'm not really a reporter in any aspect but I'm learning that's another discipline I'm learning is how to write and I love to paint I love to draw I love to play video games and by play video games I mean play Animal Crossing New Horizons because I am not a gamer unlike Alyssa wait hold on there <laughs> you have a desktop and you play Minecraft all the time are you not a gamer I am not a gamer I just play a lot of Minecraft and like sometimes I play Deceit but it's like it's minecraft i feel like minecraft qualifies as gaming sorry if that's a controversial opinion i just feel like it's more gaming than like me sitting in my bed like watering flowers you know talking about what constitutes a gamer is a is a whole can of worms i really don't want to get into that's a different Wait. episode yeah i guess with vanessa putting me on blast my name's Alyssa. i was born and raised in honolulu hawaii and i moved to new york city for university where I met Vanessa and like we've mentioned before we're both studying writing and we are in the same program except I am pursuing a degree in poetry and nonfiction and I am minoring in a um, creative business minor and a programming through the lens of liberal arts look I can't I can't really explain either of my minors well but yeah I'm I'm a writing major is all you need to know <laughs> How do we even talk about your second minor? Because they don't even know, the program directors don't even know what that minor is. Outside of school, I enjoy working out. Back when I was on campus, I would be working out like five to six times a week. And I realized that makes me sound like, oh yeah, I always did sports, just like super into athletics. It's like, no, I was a band kid in high school. I consider myself a reformed musician. This whole workout thing, 
did not happen until college. I was basically repulsed to exercise in high school and throughout most of my life. I think Alyssa's autobiography is going to be called Reform Musician. Like, that's <laughs> so funny because I remember you constantly being like, I'm at the gym, sorry I can't hang out, or I'm at the gym, see you later. I don't know, it's just something that I enjoy doing and it's a combination of weightlifting and then cardio. But yeah, I'm a reform musician. I was a very much a band kid in high school. I played trombone. Actually, before deciding, okay, I want to study writing, I want to go to New York, I was fully planning on pursuing a degree in music education. So during like the college application season, I had my common app essay done during the summer as well as two supplements to other universities because I had to focus on recording my audition pieces. And then I was Boo Boo the Fool. <laughs> I chose a lot of schools that weren't on the Common App, so I had to do a lot more writing than, you know, I would have liked. But I did the whole audition thing and then I ended up at our university because I decided, actually, no, I want to I wanted do the writing thing which is what I wanted to do for a while. Like when I was younger, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be an author. But then sophomore year of high school, I was also a TA for band. So I got to work with fifth through eighth graders. And then there's the whole journey from there. I was looking at music education for a while. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're friends. I know, I'm really glad that circumstances happened where we became friends. But also I would like to say that Vanessa and I at our university in our college the first year writing program would host like this weekly event and it would be different professors giving like hour-long lectures so we both went to this event first semester except we never spoke to each other like we would both see each other every single week we sat on opposite sides of the room and this is not a very large room we just sat on opposite sides and we never spoke and it wasn't until the second semester where it was like hey I keep seeing you let's talk I remember exactly how it happened though. There was a class that happened in that room before the lectures and people were just idling and there was somebody sitting in my chair. Capital M, capital C, my chair. The chair that I sat in in the corner because I didn't want to have to talk to anybody. Just wanted to sit in the corner, not socialize, whatever. This person sits in my chair and I look over at Alyssa on the opposite side of the row and I was like, she makes me feel safe. I know her. We wave at each other every week. I'm gonna sit with her. And then eventually that person left and I like reclaimed my seat. But I, I sat there a while talking to you and we talked about theater and music and literature and we realized we had a lot in common and that's how we became friends. Six months after meeting for the first time, we decided to talk to each other. No, it was super funny. And the thing is, it's like, that's when we started talking to each other. But we didn't like actually start like talking to each other and hanging out until the end of the year where it's like, oh, let's hang out before you leave. Because Vanessa, like she mentioned, is from New York, but it's like, I'm from Hawaii, so I flew home for the summer. And it's like, okay, let's hang out. And then we started hanging out regularly last fall. It was quite literally the last day you were going to be in New York before you went to Hawaii. So we were talking about like packing and what you were excited to do once you went back home and all these things. And I remember we had like quesadillas late at night and it was fun, but it was literally the day before you left. And then we spent that whole summer trading memes and being like off 
off schedule because you would be awake when I was asleep and then I would be awake when you were asleep because time zones. So how this ended up working out, I don't really know. Yeah, it's just really funny how our group kind of whoops its way together. <laughs> yeah, so that's who we are as humans, more or less. But it's like we also promised, okay, who we, who we are, but who we are as readers and writers. So Vanessa, who are you as a reader? Because you've been a lifelong reader and writer, but how would you characterize your reading now? This is a good question because I read a lot, I read every day, and I read quite widely in terms of genres. So the short list of genres that I read, which isn't very short at all. So I typically read fantasy and speculative slash science fiction the most, as well as contemporary fiction, poetry, and I would say graphic novels. But then there are some genres that I don't read as much, but when I read them, I'm like, oh my god, I need to read this more. So that's like horror and fairy tales slash folklore from different cultures and different time periods. Historical fiction. Every time I read a work of historical fiction, I forget how much I love historical fiction and then I want to read more. And like also things like cookbooks and art books. I just love to read everything. Like I feel like that is at the core of my personality. I'm just, I just read everything and I like to read everything and I'm curious about most topics. I think the only genre that I'm not interested in is romance. Like that is the one genre that I'm like, nah, I'm okay. <laughs> but everything else I'm like, yeah. Well, I think it's fantastic that you're interested in reading so broadly especially because it's like you are interested in pursuing a career in editing and it's like it's I feel like that will be helpful to you, right? Right. I learn a lot about the structures of genres and how these different genres work. Like that could be useful because then I'm more versatile as an editor because I, I'll be able to edit whatever. So, I mean, that's the plan, but you know, have to read a lot more to, to get better at that. And it's not a genre so much as it is a demographic, but you're also very much into reading YA. I love YA. I love YA. I read a lot of adult fiction in middle school, like Agatha Christie, Dan Brown, you name it, I read it. And then I got to the point where I started getting annoyed with adult fiction because there was that weird period in like the mid 2010s where adult fiction was just like divorce. And that's all it was about or like just really existential dark stuff and I was like you know what these adults they're just not doing it right I'm gonna go back to reading about teenagers and it ended up being really uplifting reading YA because in the late 2010s there's this whole movement of inclusion and we're still seeing it now like including writers of different backgrounds with stories about different kinds of protagonists that's more representative of our world and of the readers and it was really great seeing myself represented and my friends represented and seeing characters from backgrounds that I didn't know much about. So yeah, like reading YA was a big part of my adolescence and I feel like it's permanently changed myself as a reader for the better because I'm I'm like a more optimistic person now because of my years reading YA. I feel like everyone in middle school and high school had a Dan Brown face. That, like, okay. Like, <laughs> listen, no need to attack me. No, 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 like, okay, I, this is also a self-at because I read Angels and Demons and then like the Da Vinci Code and I still I think I still own them as well as Inferno but I never read Inferno because Inferno was the one that had just came out around the time I was reading his stuff. That's the one I read. That's the one I started with. It was this giant book and I remember taking it to like the sixth grade lunch table and my friends <laughs> being like what's that and I'm like well let me tell you. <laughs> it's like 600 pages long or something. It's just this giant book in my little like Hello Kitty backpack or whatever. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just like I have a related story to that where 
in seventh grade for whatever reason my friends and i had decided that like our sort of book was the iliad so we would carry around a copy of the iliad with us you would carry it everywhere yeah like there's I know that there's photos, there exist photos where it's like we had a tree that we would hang out on and it's like there's photos of us by this tree posing with the Iliad. Oh my god, you need to get me a copy of that photo so that I can have it as blackmail. Absolutely not, but <laughs> oh goodness, yeah but that's- No you can't just, you can't just move past that, I have questions. So did you read the Iliad when you were like in seventh grade and you guys really liked it and <laughs> you- kept the copy on you okay that's the thing so it was myself and three friends i don't actually know which among us read the iliad and the thing is i honestly can't remember if, if i've actually read the iliad in its entirety or not i am not sure and this is the same experience i had reading the odyssey because it's like the odyssey is one of the texts that we have to read for this foundational course and it's like okay i'm very familiar with it but am i familiar with it because i was that weird third grade child who was sort of a hipster with Greek mythology before it was popularized by Rick uh, Riordan in the Percy Jackson series? Or is it like, have I been forced to read different sections of the Odyssey before? So I don't actually know if I've read the Iliad and it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. That's an interesting thing that I learned about Alyssa today and I hope that it was interesting for the rest of you too. But Alyssa, tell me, what kind of reader are you? Okay, I guess I feel strange when I'm explaining my reading to people because there's also that sort of, or anyway, I feel this sort of pressure like when I first came to university of, okay, I have to be like a quote unquote serious reader, which it like, that's a euphemism for, okay, you have to be reading literary fiction. So it's like when I first started university, I was reading all this random like literary fiction, and but it ended up like not being stuff I really enjoyed. So presently who I am as a reader is returning to what I actually enjoy, which is a lot of speculative fiction and science fiction. I've mentioned that I'm a poetry major so I do read a lot of poetry. Poetry collections are like textbooks to me. And then I- this is new to this year I think but I've really gotten into short fiction so a lot of short stories. This past summer I read three speculative fiction short story collections and then I started my year off reading Tetsuyang's Exhalation which is a speculative fiction short story collection. And I'm also really into non-fiction. Like I couldn't tell you the last non-fiction- actually no. The last non-fiction book I read was Mushroom. But I like I couldn't tell you what other nonfiction I read, but I do enjoy reading nonfiction. In our first episode, we talked about books that are releasing in the second half of the year, and then I had a few nonfiction collections there. But I guess it's like I talked kind of briefly of how my reading changed from university, but beginning of university to now, we're both in our third years now. For you, it seems like your reading has been pretty consistent throughout your life. Would you agree with that? Like aside from like adult to YA, but just genre wise. Right, yeah, it's been pretty consistent. I do understand that feeling of when you go to college that there's this pressure to be a quote-unquote serious reader and I definitely understood that and I heard that from a lot of older people too. Like these are the sorts of genres that are considered serious and this is the kind of work that you can produce to be considered a serious writer and if you produce anything else 
your colleagues and professors will look down upon you. And I heard that and I was like, I'm not gonna live my life as a reader and a writer based on whatever anybody else tells me. And so like, I went into college being like, I unabashedly like YA, I like science fiction, I like fantasy, like those genres that are not considered as serious as literary fiction. Like I had no issue talking about them because I had already gotten over this idea of that's not serious fiction or that's not serious work for somebody to produce. Yeah. And it's like, it's also strange when it's like, it's just an adjective, but when people are talking about genre fiction, so like SSF, uh, SFF, and it's strange when people are like, oh yeah, that's genre fiction. And so, like, you know, it's like they're saying it in a certain way. I'm also at the point where I'm just really over the idea of, oh, I have to read like XYZ to be considered like a legitimate reader, a legitimate writer. I just think it's really unproductive because it's like, we've discussed the Diviner series together. Like we've had very in-depth and serious conversations about the Diviner series and it's marketed as young adult but really it's a new adult book. The point here is it's like there are still things in these young adult texts in these different like quote like genre fiction books where there's so much for us to mine in both the craft as well as the content where it's like look if we're getting something out of it it's worthwhile and even if it's not worthwhile just read what you want to read. <laughs> Right. Why do you think we started reading as kids? It's not so that we could brag on the playground. The majority of us read things because we liked them. Most adults kind of lose that natural inclination to read what they love to read. One thing that we're going to talk a lot about on this podcast is how the industry is changing and how genres are changing and the landscape of writing is changing. And that's just one of those things that we need to get over. This idea of like what makes serious work. What is work worth talking about? I think we're we're evolving past that. We don't need to have those Sorts of discussions anymore. Well, I think it's like we do need to be having those discussions, but it's what I'm understanding. It's like in the way that you're saying, it's like we don't need to be having these these discussions in the way of what's actual literature. But I think it's still critical to talk about the work. You're a very avid reader. How do you think that affects your writing, or does that affect your writing? What do you write? I mainly write speculative slash science fiction. There's a lot more of like these sorts of broad ideas that we look at when we look at science fiction. So like humanity versus technology, like at one point, do we stop being human? You haven't read a lot of these works that I'm talking about, but a lot of like the short fiction that I've written in fiction classes has been spec fiction. I also write retellings, usually of myths or fairy tales. And that's always fun because there's this huge, you know, source material to mine through and to look for uh, information that could be useful in the work. In terms of length, I write short fiction and I also write long form fiction and I also write a lot of poetry. Like we discussed, you just you just kind of came to poetry, but for long form fiction, you recently finished working on your manuscript. Do you want to talk about that a bit? I did. So this manuscript is an example of the spec science fiction that you and my other friends haven't read a lot of, but I do write. It falls into a few different genres. Science fiction, but also crime fiction. I would consider it new adult just because of the age of the protagonist and the sorts of conflicts that they're dealing with. I would not market it as YA, but I also wouldn't market it as adult fiction because I don't think adults would be interested in it. <laughs> 
The thing is, you know that trad pub is gonna, it's gonna be marketed as young adult. But in your heart of hearts, you'll know that it's new It's adult. new adult. I know, just because of the way the demographic is broken up, new adult still isn't seen as its own genre. Even though it is, I feel like new adult is its completely own thing. It's dealing with its own conflicts, its own questions that are separate from YA. I was talking to, I think, either an agent or an editor at some point who was saying, yeah, it's like new adult kind of had like new, it looks like new adult was going to be a thing and then it just fizzled out <laughs> i feel like i have to take on the responsibility to pioneer the new adult movement because it's completely its own thing and it, yeah. it drives me crazy when people are like new adult doesn't exist new adult isn't even listed as like a genre category when you read books even though they're obviously new adult and it's just like the terms we're throwing around here so young adult that's typically like teenagers um and it's like up to around age 16 17 and then new adult tends to be around that's it's the older end of that so it's like 17 through like 20 early 20s uh so it's like think more college age for new adult or late teens and besides just age range they're just dealing with different issues and different questions like young adult is all about like coming of age realizing who you want to be moving out of childhood into this new phase in your life whereas new adult is like all that wonderful optimism and hope kind of fizzles out and you have to deal with the reality of your life and the things that you have to get done and how to survive yeah so like a good example of new adult would be Libba Bray's The Diviner series where it's okay we have to save the world but also how do I navigate this world who doesn't want me in it so Alyssa, you've told us about the genres that you read, but what do you write? It's like more or less the same thing. Uh, I'm a poetry nonfiction concentration writing major. I write poetry and I write essays is, is basically what it is. And it's like, I joke I'm a bad writer and I mean bad not in terms of quality because my mentality towards that is you can always be improving your writing. When I say I'm a bad writer, I mean I just don't write a lot. Like for someone who's a writing student, I feel like I just do not write a whole lot. <laughs> but you also have so much work. Every time I'm talking to you, you're like, gotta go. I have like six projects, two essays, you know, a bunch of stuff to do. Yeah, it's, it's also like, I'm a bit reticent to say, oh, I'm a writer or she's like, oh, I'm a poet. One time I was talking to someone, I was talking to this author and she said, oh, so you're a poet. I'm like, oh dear God, don't, <laughs> don't call me that. Um, I think it's like that sort of labeling where it's like, oh, I guess I am that thing. Yeah, I write poetry and essays. My essays, it's like a lot of the essays that I've written recently, it's like they've been for school, but I think I tend to gravitate towards writing personal, like creative nonfiction essays, as well as cultural commentary. And by cultural commentary, I mean, I just write about Star Trek The Next Generation. That's really all she writes. <laughs> But I think it's so interesting that you're both a poetry major and a nonfiction major. Or that those are the genres that you're pursuing in your degree because yeah. it's not necessarily a popular combination. I would say most people are fiction and poetry or they're nonfiction and fiction. So for you to be poetry and nonfiction is really interesting. And I can see a little bit of that in your work. I feel like your nonfiction tends to defy the boundaries that have been placed on it. And that's a good thing. I'm complimenting you. <laughs> Thank you. 
And yeah, I think it's just like part of the tendency where it's just like within our major fiction is like, I think hands down the most popular genre. And it's, I, I think I would like to say that large part of that is that's where a lot of people were introduced to writing, right? Like as readers, you grow up reading these like middle grade books and you're reading young adult fiction. So it's like a lot of people are coming in from a fiction background. So sometimes when I have like these weird, the very rare occasion where I'm like, okay, I have to write. A lot of the times it will manifest as poetry. The other sort of default for that is writing speculative fiction or like magical realism short pieces. So it's like, I, I sort of, I understand why fiction is so popular. That's how people were introduced to writing. Yeah, it's funny that you describe when you have the desire to write, it comes out as poetry because I feel like that's sort of like an instinctual reaction of when you get an idea, you're like, ah, this, this is a poem. But the times that you're going to write a non-fiction piece you can correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like you have this like very set idea of i want to explore this topic and the way it interacts with this thing yeah i think more or less i have an idea where i think it's when it's non-fiction it's more clear to me okay this piece is non-fiction but i think it's like this is something that i've developed a bit more as i've grown as a writer but figuring out like the size of a piece and what I mean by that is when I was younger and this goes into the whole thing of being introduced to writing and to fiction through novels is okay everything has to be a novel right where it's like if you're reading short stories that's like for a very specific thing in a particular class where it's this is the short story unit and that's not how a lot of people go into fiction but as I've gotten older I've gained a better sense of this idea is poetry this idea is short story this idea is like flash fiction I would agree that for non-fiction it's I want to write about this specific thing and it's either I have commentary on it or it's something where if it's personal writing this is what I want to do poetry for me I was introduced to poetry um, through spoken word poetry actually um, Sarah and Phil Kay and that sort of experience of getting poetry in that way and just the whole genre of like spoken and slam poetry of that being how a lot of the poems in that sort of work is very emotionally driven. That's how I would say that that shaped how I think about poetry. My senior project um, in high school was a poetry collection about my grandma and looking back on that I realized actually this would work better in nonfiction. It's cool that you can have those sorts of realizations that maybe before you would have just gone with whatever genre you decided but now you actually can tell like what the soul of the piece requires. Because it's like the chapbook that I wrote is basically just me processing all my emotions for that but now it's like okay what what can I, what are the different threats that I can set up in a non-fiction piece that involve these, but then I can also talk critically about different aspects of culture. So it's like how that sort of takes shape. I mean, it's like, do you have the experience too? Because it's like you write poetry and fiction. I know instinctually what the piece is going to be. And usually what actually happens first, one of two things happens. I will get the title for the poem first. Poetry will come in the form of titles for me and then I base the entire atmosphere of the poem around the title. And then with fiction, what happens is I either get like a sharp image of what the character looks like and then I build the world around them. Or if it's something for 
class, I'll receive the prompt and I basically come up with this like one line hook in my head of what if I write about XYZ? And that's how the work of fiction comes about. I think it's really interesting that you operate in poetry with coming up with the title first because it's like my experience with poetry is usually it's a line that I get. It's like, okay, how can I use this line? But also you're, you're more of a formalist poet too. <laughs> like I usually do come up with the title or sometimes I get like a, a short snippet of the line and then I decide if I want to explore this theme that is coming to me from the title then I have to employ this form but it's funny that you say that because I'm not like yes I know all the forms by heart I am the master poet it's more like me looking on google like short poetic forms or like ways to incorporate this yeah i just think it was funny because this summer where we were reading um what you had submitted for a workshop and at some time like after you pointed out hey Alyssa, do you know what form this is it's like yeah that sure is a tonka a tonka is five seven five five syllables it's it's basically like an extended version of the haiku so five seven five but we were all shook we were all shook with the acrostic poem no one expects the acrostic poem in our sort of conference call workshopping the pieces where you know i would sit there and there would be signs and i would say hey guys do you know what form this is and our friends would say what and i would say an acrostic poem and they would just lose their minds they would like start slamming the tables like oh my god we can't believe you made another acrostic poem and that we didn't catch it it's like the acrostic poem it's one of those that is i think it's like in our minds juvenile because it's like when you're learning to write poetry do the thing like i remember in fifth grade when we were putting together poetry collections i just read a lot of acrostic poems about greek gods it, it was it was um specifically artemis and zeus yeah and oh i await the day that you write a limerick I can't, like, there's no way that a limerick cannot be corny. Like, I've looked at that form so many times and I'm like, that's, that's not it. Look, I wrote in fifth grade, I wrote a limerick about a rabbit. A rabbit who ate taco salad. That's so cute! That is so fifth grade. I mean, it's like, a lot of those poems from fifth grade, they're fifth grade poems, you know? Where it's just like, people always talk about their cringy middle school poetry. It's like, fifth grade poetry is still at the level where it's just funny. So I gotta find like, my old art books and poetry book from elementary school then. That's just an episode. We expose ourselves. We expose ourselves. I feel like that's more of a visual thing. Maybe we could do a post about it. I still have like, yeah. my old poetry books from like, third grade and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think recently, so it's like, that fifth grade poetry collection is around somewhere. I have a collection of poetry I wrote in eighth grade. So we know that's an experience. Um, I have my chapbook from senior year of high school. And then I also have this illustrated, I by illustrated I mean I illustrated, a, a, like a sort of children's book in fifth grade as well. I have very little work compared to you in terms of the school experience and writing poetry. I probably have like a tiny stack of the poetry books I wrote in elementary school and then the two poems that I wrote in high school. My favorite thing is just talking to our friends. It's like, we're writing majors, but also do we write? Like one of our friends is a journalism major and we were joking about that earlier, where it's like journalists have different beats. So it's like specific things that they report on and she's interested in like arts and culture. <laughs> she was saying, but do you know how embarrassing it is when I don't know what's happening in the news and someone asks me. It's like, that's the same thing as asking a historian who has a central focus and like a research emphasis to tell me about history. It's like, I am not an omnipresent overlord of time. It's like us as writing majors when people are like, oh, so have you read Name's book? 
And it's like, that's not on my syllabus. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, I have not read Sally Rooney's Normal People. But anyway, so it's like, we've talked about what we enjoy reading and writing. Is there anything that you are interested in reading more of or writing more of? I would say writing more magical realism because there's a whole tradition in Latin America of writing magical realism and I'm Latin American and I want to further that tradition through my work. I just feel like it's sort of an inheritance I have just as someone that's a part of that culture and I feel like it's something that I want to bring into my work. You're using the language of inheritance in like talking about um, magical realism and something that I'm always really interested in is thinking about writing lineages or just like who do you write from or who do you write to and about right so it's like who who are some of the people that you would consider like a part of your lineage for writing primarily Jorge Luis Borges. He was the first Latin American writer that I read in Spanish class and I read his work in the original Spanish and I was just so fascinated with how his mind could create that. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I feel like Carmen Maria Machado is also a part of that legacy. There are so many writers now that are doing Latin American magical realism or like Latin American Gothic, like Mexican Gothic is, you know, something that I, I want to read. There's just so many works now that are, are falling into that lineage and that inheritance, and I, I think I want to write more of that. And, like, in terms of things I want to read more of, horror, because it's not a genre that I read a lot of, but I love it. I love the way I have no control over my own body when I'm reading a scary scene, like, and my heart is racing, and I know that it's not real, but just something about it is so compelling. I like the way that horror just, like, completely takes the reader and does what it wants with our mind and with our hearts and all the things it makes us feel. Yeah, it, it's like there's something so tantalizing about horror because it's like I also want to read more horror. And something that's interesting to me is that we both read a lot of like SFF, but horror is a lot of the times also categorized with like science fiction and fantasy. So it's like, okay, how about we round it out with the horror too? Because it's like, I also don't read a ton of horror. When we talked about spooky things that we've read, we couldn't really come up with the list because we're, there's more of like an atmosphere of horror, but there's not like actual horror. Like Diviners is a good example. Like it's super natural horror and there's definitely some scary stuff but I wouldn't call it like straight horror. I don't know maybe it's time to give Stephen King a try. I would recommend a uh, cat from Paperback Dreams on YouTube if you want to get more into horror. She that's her whole thing. She reads a lot of horror and then Elias uh, from Elias Reads. He also reads a lot of thrillers. So Alyssa, what do you want to read more of? What do you want to write more of? I mean, it's just like, I, like I say, I want to read more horror and I want to read more poetry and science fiction, right? There's just so much poetry and there's such a wealth of contemporary poetry. I have a thing with my Goodreads where I try to keep the want to read like under a hundred. If you look at my list, it's basically all poetry. It's like, when I grow up, I want to be a list of further possibilities. Just mm, chef's kiss with that title, space struck if they come for us. Like, it's all these books that have come out recently that I want to read. Um, I want to read more poetry because I want to see what are people doing? What are things that I can think about in my own writing? With science fiction, it's like this also sort of goes into the thing of am I like a real reader of the genre if I haven't read X, Y, and Z? And I haven't read a lot of like 
staple science fiction work so it's like I haven't read any Asimov I haven't read any Arthur C. Clarke which is a bit blasphemous yeah I just want to read more science fiction fantasy I'm interested in a lot of the stuff that's coming out now I'm waiting for the poppy war I've had the poppy war on hold and I've been waiting for it on Libby since March or April and I am waiting uh the poppy war is a silk punk it's the first book in a trilogy by Arf Kwong and silk punk is a subgenre of science fiction where it's like it's like you're familiar with steampunk and that's like the aesthetic of that is I think Victorian I want to say Victorian England so it's like the gears and stuff it's like really it's technology that's fueled by steam. Silk punk really taps into Japanese and Chinese antiquity and it's that sort of aesthetic. Like, I really want to read specifically Silk Punk. Silk Punk and then Solar Punk. So Solar Punk is more of like a optimistic look at the future. <laughs> I guess the antithesis of dystopian. So I want to read more of that. And I think probably more nonfiction as well. <laughs> like, it, okay, I'm just saying I want to read more of the genres that I already read, which sounds really bad. But it's like, there's just so many great books and it's just a matter of getting to them. I really want to read Bloomsbury Object Lesson series. I want to read more in that series. Oh, I just want to read this series. I have a few of the books, but I also want to read more sort of academic texts. Something that's on my TBR is the adjunct underclass, and that's talking about the adjunct position in the United States, or I guess generally in the university system. I can only speak to what the American model is, but that's something that I think about a lot. That's something I want to read more of. As far as writing goes, you know, just writing, like just actually writing. No, but... <laughs> Uh, I do I do want to do more work towards my senior thesis, which is a speculative poetry collection. So I want to start thinking about that more and then working more on a short story specfic project and start writing for that. It's funny when you say that you want to read more poetry because I feel like you're always reading a poetry collection and you've definitely read way more poetry than I have and you're always recommending people to me. So it's funny to hear you say that and I'm like, I have to read more because she has to read more. I think I was listening to Verses. Uh, Verses is a podcast from the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness hosted by Franny Joy and Dines Smith. And they were interviewing Kava Akbar. And I think they were describing him as a sort of poetry cheerleader. It's like, I want that. I want to be that too. Okay, so we are closing out our episode with our reading recommendation. Vanessa, what book do you have for me to read? I have How to Train Your Cactus, A Guide to Raising Well-Behaved Succulents by Tonwin Jones. What can I say about this book? It is an adorable illustrated book about taking care of cacti. I consider myself a big plant mom. I have like 12 or 13 plant babies, but I can never take care of cacti because they're just so difficult and they have very specific water needs and humidity needs. So when my friend gave me this book for my birthday, I was like, this is good because I can finally learn how to take care of different kinds of cacti cacti, what types of soil are best for them, what types of humidity are best for them, like what kinds of light do they like, and it's really adorable. It's Like I said, it's illustrated. Jones illustrated everything. Yeah, I mean, Alyssa, if you want to get more into taking care of plants and having you know plants around your house, I think it'd be a good idea for you to read this. This sounds extremely cute, and it's also just very on brand for you. It's an illustrated book. Um, 
yeah this this book sounds adorable but i do have to ask how many people gave you books for your birthday because i also gave you a book everybody gives me books for my birthday here's the thing i usually get like a couple of books for my birthday from friends but nobody gives me plants because they know i know how to choose plants best and i know what's best for my apartment yeah it's just like i feel like it's also sort of a thing of okay i want to get you a book but i want to get you a book that i know that you would like because it's like we both have really long tbrs so it's like if you give me a book that's off my tbr now i'm obligated to add it to it i like that we can see each other's goodreads also my TBR is like over 300 books long but it's good because I can be like Alyssa has not read this book and I'm gonna do her a favor and get it off her list so that she can move on to the next book and I see that this book is from Andrew McNeil publishing uh, <laughs> I have not had great encounters with the poetry but I think we can trust this recommendation I think it's like anything that's not their poetry will be good like it's super snappy and fun to read and all the plants have personalities and sometimes they get cute little nicknames and Jones basically creates this world for all these cacti. I highly recommend it. It's also very short. It's a quick read for sure. And I was going to recommend you a different book this week. Because like, since we're talking about illustrations and you mentioned that you enjoy graphic novels, I'm going to recommend On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden to you. It's a gorgeous gorgeous graphic novel. So when I say graphic novel, I think that's undercutting it because this book is thick. I I saw this um, in a comic book store and I, I walked in. I'm like, wow, that's a really gorgeous cover. And I saw I'm like, oh my god, this is huge. So I didn't get it then. I ended up borrowing it from the library. But what's nice is that Tilly Walden also has the entirety of On a Sunbeam online for free. So you can check out uh, the website for that. But on the Sunbeam is a science fiction story actually and it's following a girl who's at a boarding school but also someone who's like they're archaeologists or actually they're not archaeologists I think they're trying to maintain like these different ruins around this galaxy it's so beautifully drawn and I believe that Tilly Walden does all of her art on paper so it's like it's not digital and Tilly Walden I think she recently won an award I forgot what the award was but I know that she recently won something and she's also the um, author illustrator of Spinning which I believe won a Lambda Literary Award I want to say among other things her illustrations are gorgeous and I think you would really appreciate both just the artistry of it as well as the story. That's so cool. I thought that Anna Sunbeam was just a webcomic. I had no idea that it was a graphic novel. I'll definitely get the physical copy because I, I love art books. I, I wish your wrists the best because it is a thick book. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at the Goodreads page currently and it says that the paperback is 533 pages. But it's beautiful. It's like just the colors. The, the palette of the book is just breathtaking. And that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening to this installment of Dear Literature. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Instagram at DearLitPod. That's D-E-A-R-L-I-T-P-O-D. The music you heard in this episode was composed by Ben Solzinski. You can find more of his work at bgsmusic.com. And until next time, happy reading. Bye!